Newton. Separation, completion, touchdown, Carolina. Yeah, they went right after the rookie, Ron Darby. They put the number one receiver on him and let Cam Newton just throw it up for grabs. And that's what Rex Ryan really wanted to see. He wanted to see a young guy going So, Don, I've talked before about the kind of feeling that you get when you open your Twitter feed. Okay. That you open it up knowing that there could be some really shitty news there. Right? Especially during a time like this when your team is practicing all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, bad things happen, and nine times out of ten when they happen, you find about them on Twitter. And it causes some anxiety. But when you read something and it's bad news and it didn't happen to your team but your team's biggest rival, do you celebrate it or do you say, oh, that's too bad and hope that you keep the karma away? Now, (laughs) I think there's like two or three schools of thought on this. Uh, One is the guy – that is going to say no matter what when this happens, like I never wish for injuries upon anybody. Which is, of course, I don't want him quote right. unquote injured. Right, you don't want Kelvin it's more that Benjamin. The he's guy. not going to be playing. Right. Uh, then there's the guy that thinks like I don't know if it's hard headedness, but like I want my team to beat the other team with the best roster. Uh, so whether or not that's necessarily true, and then there's the other guy that's just like. Maybe is a little more blatant about it, and is like, "Wow, this is good for my team." Like, it's not. I, I guess if those are the three camps, I'm clearly in the third camp. Yeah, I'm never gonna try to pretend like I'm just devastated at the thought of a player being injured. I mean, especially something like a knee that they're gonna sew up and he's gonna be fine in a few months. Right. No, I don't want injuries. Like, I'm not like some kind of ghoulish human being that is like going to bed praying for injuries it's just the reality of the game is that players are going to go out from it over the course of the year and then i think fantasy football makes people even worse about it a little bit especially towards the end of the season if you're trying to maybe chase someone down or you get into the fantasy playoffs and the guy you're playing loses a running back or something like that and it's a little bit like oh yes oh i don't want to say that out loud but he lost his best running back yeah my thought today with the news of uh that the highlight we played is probably the only Calvin Benjamin touchdown of the 2015 NFL season was, yeah, I'm excited, but that could have been my guy. And I'm, I'm just glad I hate for pre- today we dodged the bullet. I hate the preseason so much. Yeah, we're going to talk more about the injuries that are piling up and why your team might be annoyed with preseason right now as well (laughs) so let's start the show it is uh season five episode 26 august 19th 2015 really on a good stretch of shows i think we've only had one week without a show since we took may off yeah that's probably right we took a lot of may off and then when we got back going in june we've gone every week but one uh since then so a really nice stretch with some really interesting guests 
and some new people too. We've gotten a lot of new blood in um, this summer. Today, speaking of new blood, uh, Lana Barry. Lana. Lana. Okay. Not Lana. Lana, okay. So the hot wrestling chick is Lana. Okay. This is Lana. The Lana that I tweeted out with the long A's and N's and like the screaming, that's from Archer. That's a Lana. So not a Lana. So okay, right. she's free of that too then. Yeah, she is Lana Barry and she is famous for potentially being famous. <laughs> but I don't say that I say that sort of in awe. Okay. She's essentially built a sick internet following. And I, I we're going to find out more about why and how. And maybe we can we can learn how to do it. Yeah. Never teach, teach, <laughs> yeah. teach us. Uh, and she also has a new podcast, the Lana Berry Podcast. And we're going to see what that's about. Maybe we should teach us some stuff yeah. about podcasts <laughs> as well. Too, yeah. And uh, one of the favorites of the sportscasters for sure, uh, Brian Curtis from Grantland, is going to be on today. He wrote about the golf, and uh, he hasn't been on it a bit, and I just want to catch up with, uh, with Brian. I love having Brian on. Uh, also, we're going to update the book club today, and uh, I am just in book club heaven the last couple of books because I loved the Molly Knight book, and mm-hmm. Molly was on the podcast last week, and I'm loving the Sales and Chains book. Oh, yeah? Uh, so we'll talk about that more in the book club. Uh, we'll finish the show with one last thing, and we'll kind of get her going right here with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right. So we're kind of already settling in with the first thing just kind of being an NFL stories thing we started last week sort of with this and that's what i got here again this week just a bunch of news we talked about it a little bit uh the injury the injury demon has caught carolina as uh kelvin benjamin went down it looked like a non-contact yeah, injury made a cut uh it's not confirmed at this point when we record on wednesday afternoon those are never good that he's out for the year or anything uh but i've heard optimism is scarce there you, you never, Seems like the writing is on the wall that this guy's got an ACL. You never want to see a guy not get touched and just go down holding his knee. That's a huge injury for them um, because I don't know who their number one receiver is now. Yeah, I mean, the guy that had a nice game against the Bills, granted it's preseason, a big, tall guy is Funches. Devin Funches, I think his name is. I, I don't know It's a name we're going to have to learn, right. I guess, yeah. because, I mean, I'm going to look at our lads here. I'm going to get it up for us, but... Without before I get it up, how many? Zero. Do you think you can name <laughs> how many? Uh, you don't think there's any other? And we we both literally just watched a Panthers preseason game, right? A couple of days ago, I watched almost all of that Bills and Panthers preseason game, and I'm drawing blanks. I mean, the year they got Kelvin Benjamin, they let the rest of their receivers go. They had. Uh, was Steve Smith still there that year? Or the season prior, nope. right? But he was there the year before, I think. So they let him go. Yeah, Kelvin Benjamin like inherited the number one spot. And he did great with it. But other than that, 
I don't, I don't All know. All right, so you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so ourlads.com, by the way, is a fantastic website for depth charts. For depth yeah. charts. It's number one. Yep. Great resource for fantasy guys. Great resource for idiots doing a podcast who have no idea who plays <laughs> for, for Carolina. Carolina. And just looking at it now, there's going to be two names we're both going to say. Oh, that's right. Well, you're counting uh, the tight end is who? Okay. Uh, no, I'm not citing Greg okay. Olson. Greg Olson, that's right. But you would think maybe Greg Olson the is the one whose value team. goes up the most fantasy-wise. Yeah. Okay, so the two starting receivers on our lads are Calvin Benjamin and Corey Brown. I have no idea who Corey Brown is. Okay, the two second wide receivers are Jericho Cotri and Ted, J- Ted Jin- Jr. Jr. That's right. I did hear Ken Jr.'s name. Other guys that are there that you've heard of, uh, Jared Boykin. Oh, that's right. Who I made a little noise with the, the Packers. Packers. Yep. Uh, he's in that camp. Maybe gives him a chance to make it. I mean, they have 10 guys right now, and you're probably only going to keep five or six. Yep. So uh, you mentioned Devin uh, Funches. Yeah. Um, what do we know about Devin? He is a rookie, and he... Um, yeah, he had a nice day against the Bills rookie, Ronald Darby. And, but, I mean, that's that's the only experience. Yeah, I mean, a 21-year-old kid, a rookie. He's from Michigan. Yep. He played at Michigan, so he's a guy to watch. But yeah, that's a devast- That's as devastating maybe of a preseason injury as we've had so far. Oh, I unless would think so. I'm thinking, unless I'm missing one. But in terms of what he means to an offense, what oh, he yeah. means yep. to a team, that's uh, that's a big one that we've had. Uh, the Bills had some nervous moments, obviously with uh, Lashawn McCoy being injured. Yeah, uh, but it sounds like it's kind of the perfect preseason injury. Sure. In the sense yeah, that it's not nagging. you don't play in the preseason anymore, yep. but you'll be back. You'll be back. Season. And yep. the good news about those injuries is you can't have what happened to Benjamin. The Bills, to you. the Bills are in a bit of a weird spot where they have like four running backs injured right now. Everyone's injured, right? So if you sign one, you kind of almost got to cut somebody, but they're all probably going to be back too. So do you want to cut a guy that is going to be back that you'd rather have? Probably there, not or? at this point because you're going to catch anyone up. Yeah, probably not. You know what I mean? Is anyone going to be able to catch up and You're not cutting Fred, matter? Fred Jackson. Uh, you're Nick. not cutting McCoy. So that's two. Let's say you're going to keep four at the most. Bryce Brown is the other guy that's hurt. He might have been danger of getting cut anyway because I don't think he plays special teams. And Dixon is hurt, right? He's a good special teamer too. So And I, then Carlos Williams, the new. He's looked good. He's and he's that, a rookie, yeah. also injured, which might mean he'll end up practice squad. Yeah, which would stink for him because he had a good camp by all accounts, but whatever. I mean, it wasn't going to be here zero anyway with McCoy there. The Bills are going to be okay there. Yep. Um, I think this happened after our show last week with C.J. Spiller having surgery. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Again, just another – it was a really uh, minor surgery, arthroscopic, no cleaning cuts. Cleaning some stuff up. Cleaning yeah. something up in the knee. And I think they Peyton said they kind of knew about this, and he got a little bit of work. What they wanted, then he had the surgery in time to be ready for week one. Yeah. So it's kind of just part of his off-season plan. Um, if you're thinking about him in a PPR fantasy where I think he has great value. Do you like Ingram a lot? I wouldn't worry about it. As a starting running back? I think Ingram is a great second. Number two running back? Yeah. I think he's a high-end two. Because they're going to have to change their style a little bit, right? Yeah, and and, and boy, are they going to love uh, – he's going to get all those close and, yeah. and tight. Yeah. No, they're going to – look at – I've said this over and over. Uh, people don't believe me. The Super Bowl season. 
they had the closest to a 50-50 split in the entire league. Oh, of, really? Of run to pass. Wow. You know, so it's not unlike this offense to run. Sure. It's not. That's a, right. that's a misconception because they tend to split the carries up. And because Brees among a lot of guys, 5, and because Brees throws for five thousand yards, yeah. so I think uh, both Saints running backs there have decent value um, in fantasy, depending on your format. Who I think has better value, right? Um, Eli Manning is the next guy in line to probably be the highest paid player ever. Yeah, we talk about this all the time. Doesn't matter. Joe Flacco was he had his turn, and now it's Eli's turn, and he's going to get it right. I mean, you have to. It's just it's the current NFL. You pay that. The, he denies that he. Demanded that. Demanded oh, that. Of course he does. Right. Um, Des Bryant got punched in the face, and you can watch video of that. Oh, I did not hear this. You told me before. And there out. was someone in charge of spending the whole night on the field trying to find this diamond earring that fell off. Because <laughs> supposedly he has like a $20,000 diamond earring on the field, and that fell out, and someone had to go through the grass and... It was recovered, in case you were worried. Oh, it was. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say, if you're some ball boy making $9 an hour, you might just say you never found yeah, it. Yeah, couldn't find <laughs> it. Didn't see it anywhere out no, there. No luck. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to mention is the deflate gate judge uh, says that the Brady suspension is in jeopardy. Well, right, and the judge kind of said, guys, talk it out, figure something out, and both sides are still dragging their feet, so this could go on for a little while. Yeah, uh, Richard M. Berman... Uh, he's the guy who's been asked by the Players Association to avoid the suspension. Warned a league lawyer during oral arguments in the scandal. Um, let me read this correctly here. Okay. He was warned a league lawyer during oral arguments in the scandal over underinflated footballs that there was precedent for judges to toss out penalties issued by arbitrators. All right. Um, he continued to push for a settlement in the dispute. A potential result he called rational and logical. But throughout the hearing, he also cited several weaknesses in the way the NFL handled the controversy that could become the basis for handing a victory to Brady and the union. And if I'm Brady in the union and I'm hearing this, I'm telling Roger Goodell and his cronies zero games that he is not interested in settling. Yeah, I mean, if you're. If I'm Brady, I'm going to roll the dice at this point. Yeah, if you're Brady. Even before you walked, I mean, before you walked into the courtroom, you knew the only thing that this could only be better for you. It couldn't have gotten any worse. If you're Goodell, I mean, I would have settled on whatever you could take. Like if they had, unless that, like you said, maybe Brady's camp was always zero games. That's I'm, I'll settle at zero games. Nothing would make me happier than to see this just blow up in Goodell's face. And I'm sorry to Bills fans who have dug their heels in into <laughs> the guilt of this guy because they don't want him to play to improve their chances. Um, and sort of, if I, I get it, I'd be the same way. Uh, but this is bullshit. Goodell's bullshit, and I'd love to see this blow up in his face. He certainly has a track record for not handling things well. I don't know. I mean, other than the fact that the NFL prints money, I don't understand how the owners. Let I'd him... be looking for a new guy. Yeah, because they're going to keep printing money. Yeah, they're right. not printing money because anything Goodell did. Right. Right. Exactly. Um. I know you said we're going to move on. Yeah, anything uh, else you want to bring off football-wise? Hard Knock started last week, right yeah. after we recorded. Oh, yeah, so, I loved uh, it. Yeah, I watched it, too. It was good. Um, it's clearly going to be the J.J. Watt show. Yep. But, I mean, why wouldn't it? He's the best defensive player in the league, and he's interesting, and it was fun. Yeah, I kind of read an article about how 
there's, I guess, a portion of people, and I don't know if they're Titans fans or whatever, Colts, <laughs> right? Who like want to say that that's not the real JJ Watt? Come on, nobody's like that. Yeah, I. You know what? The only scene that made me feel that way a little bit was him alone on the field, like at the end of the night. But maybe he that's just what makes him the best player in the, in the defensive player in the NFL. So I, I don't know. that. I always worry about... If that if that scene that you're talking about was a work, that wouldn't surprise me. Right. Because that was sort of out of context, I felt like. Right. But they are making a TV show over there. Right. So, I mean... Yeah, it's know. not as bad as, like, like America's Got Talent. Uh Holy cow. It's the like, overproduction. Yeah, it's like is. 20 minutes of production before you see this person's yeah. talent. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, the coach seems like a cool guy. Loves the F-bomb. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Drops a lot of F-bombs, this coach. Did you see the, uh, speaking of HBO, did you see the Real Sports piece on Rex Ryan? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I, yeah, so that that episode debuted last night. Oh, okay. And uh, the lead story in it is a feature on Rex who... Uh, starts crying and breaking down when talking about leaving the Jets. Oh, yeah? And I like Rex. I'd be happy if I was a Bills fan, I think, mostly. But it would bother me to some degree that he doesn't want to live here. Oh, okay. You know, that he lives in Nashville. He's not putting any roots down here. Right. And I would not trust that if he got a little success that he wouldn't bail Bail. to go to a bigger market. Yeah. Yeah, I like Rex, the cartoon character. So, And there's a look. This piece is sort of a look into that. Yeah. It, it peels back that a bit, and you can find out what else is there. Okay. But worth seeing, for sure. Sweet. Uh, Jason Day won the PGA Championship with a minus 20. Uh, he's only the third guy to reach minus 20 in a major. It's his first major win. He was emotional. Yeah. Uh, he's been in the hunt for several majors now. And uh, earlier in the year, he was in the lead when he had, like, a vertigo lapse. Oh, really? I didn't and he kind of battled through it, but wasn't able to kind of play at the level needed to win. Kind of ran out of gas on Sunday. And he's been close and close, and he finally breaks through. He's a really likable yeah. golfer. Uh, and it was sweet to see him win. It's a uh, cool time for young golfers. Yeah, Jordan Spieth posted an 8 on the year. <laughs> That's nuts. Uh, his total... St- Finishes, if you add them up in majors, is eight. One at the Masters, one at the U.S. Open, four at the British Open, and two two at the PGA. It's been done two other times at eight. That's the lowest, and they were both Tiger Tiger Woods seasons. I think 2005 was one of them, and maybe 97 or 2000. 2005, definitely one, maybe 2000, the other. Okay. Um so, yeah, a good year for golf in the majors, and we'll talk more about them with uh, Brian Curtis when he comes on. But, yeah, I would think that they're really happy with, with the year they got in the four majors. And this is the year we'll always remember where the Tiger Woods era and the golfers that really mattered in that era kind of died. Right. And this new group kind of emerged and took over the landscape of golf. I mean, Tiger still, I mean... He missed three or four cuts. Yeah, he's still a story, but he's just not getting... It's the wrong it. story. Right. Uh, last thing, we're going to kind of keep an eye on this Blue Jays and Yankees thing. We're kind of into it. Yeah. And uh, they played three more games. The Yankees won two of the three. The Yankees have already won today as we record, 
So they're a game and a half up on the Jays. Uh, but the Jays will get a chance to get that half back tonight uh, when they play. And last night, A-Rod hit a grand slam uh, against the Twins late. I think it was the eighth inning, maybe the seventh. And the Yanks got to win there. And today they got a couple late home runs. Just a really interesting race. Um, I know that probably they're both going to make it anyway. Right. Uh, but it's something fun to keep an eye on. The Royals have run away with that division. They have a 14-game lead in Minnesota. <laughs> Seems like it goes up every week. Uh, and Houston and L.A. are battling in their division for the right to not have to play in the one-game one game playoff. playoff. You know, yeah. That's kind of what these two races are. Who can yeah. avoid the, you know, the one-gamer? And then just to update the National League, the Mets... The Mets are opening up a lead on the super disappointing Nationals. The Nationals are 59-59. and 59. They're four and a half games back. Got to be one of the most disappointing teams in baseball. Well, they did win that World Series when they shut down. Uh, uh, yeah, Strasburg. Strasburg, yeah. Yeah, that worked out. Um, the Dodgers still ahead of the Giants. And the NL Central It's maybe the best division we've seen in a while. Cardinals have 76 wins, which is the most in the league, and gives them a 5 Came lead over the poor Pirates, who have 70 wins wow. and are likely going to have to play in the wild card against the poor Cubs, who are finally good with 67 wins and would win any of the other divisions at that total. That's nuts, especially for the Cubs. I mean, the Pirates too, but if you told either of those teams their win total, hey, uh, how, how many games are we into this season now? Well over a like uh, Let's see, 70 and 47 would be... Okay, so we're about 117. 117? Yeah. Yeah, if you told them 100. 17 games into the season, you have 70. Or you're 17 <laughs> over 500. Yeah. And you're not in first place. Nope. Uh, they, what they're going to have is essentially a little tournament, an NL Central tournament. Right. They'll play the one game to go play because the wild card plays the team with the best record, which, which will be, be the Cardinals. Right. And so they'll play that one game and then they'll get the Cardinals and they'll play it out. So that's where we're at with baseball. We did it. All right. That is three things for today. We're going to take a break. Don and I debated. Do we go to Brian Curtis next or we go to Lana, Lana Barry next? And I think we'll do Lana because ladies first and she's never been on. Debut. Yep. So let's take a break and uh, debut Lana Barry. Our next guest is from Dallas, Texas, and is a graduate of Columbia College, Chicago. Currently, she lives in Los Angeles, where she has built one of the more impressive Twitter followings on the internet and is the host of the brand new Lana Berry podcast featuring Lana Berry, which is one of my favorite names. She's making her first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Lana Berry. How are you doing today, Lana? I'm great. How are you? I am four Lanas in, and I am perfect so far. So good. I was uh, joking off the air with Lana about how the buffalo in me um, tries to force me to say Lana, but I don't like to do that to our guests, so I've been practicing all day saying it correctly, and so far, so good. Really appreciate it. How are you doing today? I'm great. What is... what is cool going off on? a little bit. I was dying of a heat stroke for a few days, and now it's cooler, and so I'm in a great mood. 
Yeah, I was uh, actually in L.A. one year ago today. Uh, we went, part of our honeymoon was in Los Angeles last year. And I am not a heat guy. I'm from Buffalo. I hate the heat. And of course, I was nervous, but I knew being a domestic traveler, I'm a domestic traveler. I don't like other countries much. Um, I knew that I was going to have to go somewhere hot and I just wasn't going to worry about it. But we got lucky. It was really very mild summer weather in Los Angeles while we were there. It's usually mild for the most part, but it just gets super hot for a couple weeks, and it's miserable. And I thought for sure that I would absolutely be there during those weeks because, you know, when you don't <laughs> when you don't like the heat, you just assume, oh yeah, it's, we'll be there for record heat. But we weren't, and we exactly. went right. We went to a Dodgers game. We got a Granky game, which was nice. And I did sort of understand the things about the stadium. Like I could totally understand why you might get there late and leave early. Just like the way you have to sort of drive into it and park in it sort of is seem like a nightmare. And I have never waited in a line for a Dodger dog or any other form of food as long as I waited at that stadium. Why did you wait so long? It just, it was just one of those days. I don't know why there was just people everywhere out in the concessions. You just couldn't avoid the lines. The lines were so long that like the lady, two people ahead of us dropped her hot dog on the ground and said, looked at the line and just picked it up and put it back on the bun and then put ketchup on it. Gross. Mm-hmm. She's just like, yeah, the disgusting. lines are just too long. I'm eating my Dodger dog no. with a taste of concourse. Yep. She she looked at the she, um, Telling you, she looked back at the line, looked at the ground, picked it up, put it on the thing, and put some ketchup on it. I mean, if you don't want to wait in line again, that's fine, but I'm not going to eat that hot dog. <laughs> right. I might have just turned around and asked the lady if I could have a different one. Because she wasn't really, like, so far away from the front of the line that everyone felt bad for her. I don't, I don't think it, people would have minded. But, no, I kind of just – I kind of got it about that stadium. Like, man, it's hard to get in and out of that place. It is. And traffic is just so bad here in general that, I mean, if, if people are late everywhere here because of it. Mm-hmm. So, of course, people are going to be late to a game. It's, like, the worst time to drive pretty much, and it's a hassle getting in and then getting to your seat. And it yeah. takes, you know, just it's, it's a light time. You have to assume it's going to be an extra hour and a half to get anywhere. Yeah, in Buffalo, we have a saying that everything is 15 minutes away, and when I was there, I realized that they probably have a saying that everything is an hour away. Like, at least. It feels like it. Yeah, so. But I did not ask you on to talk about Los Angeles traffic, believe it or not. <laughs> Uh, wow, that's what I thought this podcast was. Yeah, we every week we have a different person from South or Southern California come in and talk about the traffic. Uh, you know, uh, we had a really interesting talk last week about the lights to merge on the highway. It was great. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, there's actually a few things I was really excited to talk to you about. One is you started your own podcast, and I love the name. It's a brilliant name. Um, Thank you. I wish we could sort of rename the, the sportscasters featuring the sportscasters uh, just because I <laughs> thought that that was a brilliant touch. But tell me a little bit about why you wanted to do a podcast and kind of like what going into the podcast you envisioned it being and if you think a couple episodes in you're achieving that or not. Um, I was approached by – oh, I was going to start a podcast on my own anyway because I really – 
I feel like I have these great conversations with people on Twitter, and I wanted to kind of carry them over into audio and then eventually video. But um, so that was kind of my goal with that is to basically take people that I interact with on a regular basis on there that people enjoy and adding another component to it. And um, I had a production company here kind of approach me about them wanting to launch something like that as well. And so that's been really, really cool for me because they kind of handle all the technical stuff for me, which is ideal. Right, and that can be difficult. Right. But it's fun because I just get, you know, I'm just now starting. But um, I think so far it's been it's been about what I want it to be. It's great because I can, I take, I mostly take just questions from Twitter and email. Right. And then, it's, so it's basically the whole conversation is with someone who I already know, but it's all stuff that people have told me they want to hear us talk about. Now, at some point, so that's yeah, no, I was thinking of this. Now, at some point, someone told you, or you kind of heard of this thing called Twitter and, and somehow, magically, amazingly, Atlanta was not taken. And you, not only do you have a cool... not how that happened. Okay. All right. Good. You can tell the story then. Um, okay. Okay. But at some point, you had zero followers. And somehow, you've managed to build an incredible... What? 85,000? Something like that? Yeah. Not what? quite 85. Yeah, 80-something. Tell me about... Okay. You're going to have to tell the story about the name because you have... I just think it's amazing you have at Lana, but obviously there's more to it than just you typed it in and got it. And then tell me about kind of building it and what went into it. Okay. Um, The name story is actually kind of funny because I did it out of, I don't want to say spite, but I did it to kind of mess with somebody because I had, so I originally, I got on Twitter seven years ago and Lana Berry, which is my full name, was even that was already taken. Hmm. So I got Lana underscore Berry. So that's what I started with. Whoever had Lana Berry ended up ditching that. So I ended up getting that. And um, so I had that for a while. And then uh, and then this guy I knew ended up getting uh, just his first name as his Twitter username several years into him being on Twitter. And so I asked him, I was like, oh, how did you pull that off? And he told me, the massive amount of work that he had done to get this username, which I thought was so over the top and ridiculous because it was, he basically harassed the guy who had it for like two years and ended up paying like $1,500 for it or something, even after all that time and negotiating. And so basically what I did after that was I looked to see who had at Lana and it was someone who wasn't named Lana and they had tweeted twice and it had been, something like three or four years since they had tweeted. And so I uh, messaged a friend of mine who used to work at Twitter, who doesn't even work, didn't even work there anymore. And I was basically just kind of jokingly was like, look at this chick who has at Lana and her name isn't even Lana. How do I get this? And then I was kind of just messing with him and I didn't seriously think they would get it for me because he didn't respond to me for like three days and then when he did respond to me he had just changed my username over (laughs) and I didn't even know (laughs) wow so that was it was actually it was it was easy but it was really I was really just doing it to mess with my friend who had gone through painstaking links to get his 
It's kind of like you guys were both free agents in a new locker room, and you both had to go to a player to see if you could get the number you wanted. And the one guy's like, ah, the number doesn't mean anything to me. Here, have it. But then the other free agent had this guy who was like, no, man, I'm 23 for life. I'm MJ. You're going to have to pay up 70 grand. Or so. it's kind yeah. of like, that, that's kind of like what I'm thinking of. It's like a plot out of Ballers or something. But, yeah. Yeah. It's a good analogy. Yeah. So I want to tell you about my first interaction with you on Twitter. Okay. So this okay. is kind of a funny story. Wait, is it good or bad? I think it makes me look horrible. But – Oh, I, I'm willing to ad- admit. I'm first of all. I'm willing to admit that I'm a wrestling mark. Okay, I'm willing to admit that I've been. Oh, okay. You know, I was a little Hogan kid, which is not as cool to say anymore as it was like a month ago. But you know, I was a little Hulkamaniac when I was five in 1985 or whatever. And uh, my grandpa used to tell me that wrestling was real and that football was fake, um, which is something that he oh, got got in his head on the boat from Italy to the U.S. or something. So I'm a longtime wow. wrestling fan and. I was just sort of kind of dipping my toes back into watching a little bit. I hadn't watched in several years. And I turn on and there's this girl speaking Russian whose name is Lana. And um, I'm watching her and she's like sort of mesmerizing me. She's beautiful. Um, She's got – I'm a huge fan of – I was always a huge fan of Russian hockey players. Like I grew up. My number one guy was Pavel Bure. Like like, just loved him. So like when we had Russian – exchange students at my school i know i looked at the girls and like maybe they were they were just beautiful to me just because they were from russia like there was like a mystery about it or whatever so just so then i'm like kind of like looking on the internet and finding out she's from florida not russia and you know she but she did sort of live there maybe for so i tweeted something like haven't watched wrestling in a while wow and i didn't add or anything i just typed l-a-n-a wow lana is beautiful Prettiest girl they've had in years or something. So then I just kind of move on. I'm watching for a little bit longer. Maybe I switch to something else. I come back. I have like 15 tweets, ats, which is a lot for a guy with, you know, 1,700 followers. Um, And I look and someone took my quote and tweeted you and said, look at this guy thinks you're the hottest girl that you're the hottest girl in years or something. Kind of misquote quoted it a little what i said was she was the hottest person in the wwe for years they kind of took that part Uh out just said i said you were the hottest girl for years and then you kind of got back with well he's talking about this chick and i think you tweeted maybe a picture of her and then it was on and on with all these people telling you how much better you look were looking than this lana (laughs) (laughs) and somehow i was like in the middle of it sort of feeling bad because i didn't know you yet and i did barely even knew her and i kind of got in the middle of it and i felt like i looked a little kind of stupid tweeting about oh this girl so yeah no it's it's no it's funny because i get um that's actually that's i don't think that's stupid at all i think it's the people in the middle that are stupid or or no offense to those people but i just think it's (laughs) like don't drag me into it Mm -hmm. but um because I actually think it's really funny because I get all of these tweets meant for her. And it's not that people think I'm her. It's just that her username is at Lana WWE. And right. so it's just like they don't finish putting in the whole username and it just goes to me. And it's usually people who are not very smart. And there's a lot of grammatical errors <laughs> and 
wrestling or fans. it's really yeah. offensive mm-hmm. and i've never i've never been actually offended by any because it's hilarious <laughs> but that's what actually one of my favorite things is getting tweets meant for her because it's so funny to me and i usually screenshot it and uh tweet it out because yeah. i think it's great but it has to happen like I really, almost all the time when she you know she gets in an angle and next thing you know you're getting tweets about her kissing Dolph Ziegler or something she did something with a fish recently. Oh yeah, um, they. Uh, what was it? Her her on screen and off screen uh, boyfriend Rusev uh, presented her with a or presented his new on screen girlfriend with a dead fish, symbolic of her being a dead fish or something kind of convoluted like that. So, yeah. yeah, so basically I don't watch wrestling, but I kind of get the gist of what's happening based on the tweets I get. Right. But I got a bunch <laughs> of weird tweets that day. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> you know, and it's about in- a fish. I'm like, what? It's interesting, too, because when I was looking, you know, anytime you book someone t- to be on your podcast, you there's an element then of looking and researching them and finding stuff out about them and in the least creepiest way possible, I looked at your Instagram and um, I think you and Molly actually talked about this on the podcast I was listening to. I was sort of doing this while you and Molly were talking about how LinkedIn was one of the better creep places on the internet. And I'm like, oh, maybe oh, I should yeah. look at her. So you guys were talking about it. So I was looking around and I think it's on Instagram where you, you write something about how everyone here is creepy. Uh, and I, I, know, oh. I know how you're saying it. I, I get the kind of tongue-in-cheek kind of joking but not joking part of all these people being interested in these pictures of you and i totally get it and i kind of wanted to ask you and i thought of this this is how i what i what i compared it to or thought of during the women's world cup i read a really interesting article on awful announcing about how it's okay for alex morgan to use her looks and her sexuality to promote herself but how it's sort of off-putting when FIFA does it or mm. someone else. And mm-hmm. when I thought of that, when I was thinking of you and thinking of you writing this and knowing and wanting to know more about what you think about these people that have been drawn to you and how maybe some of them have been drawn to you either because of your looks or because not only are you attractive, but you're attractive and you bring a great wealth of baseball knowledge. That it's the combination of the things that may have draw, dragged people there. I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting balance. And, I, and I'm trying to say it without offending you in any way because I don't mean it to be offensive. But I'm just right. wondering how you react to this element of things online and if you get the kind of comparison I made to Alex Morgan or not. No, I totally understand. I think it's... I mean, I've always been very conscious of it, and, um, you know, I don't, I'll post pictures of myself, but not super often, and I don't, and I've actually made a point for a couple years to hardly ever post pictures of myself, because I wanted to really, you know, make sure I'm not, you know, getting an audience for the wrong reasons. Right. And... I get that, you know, I look the way I look. And I actually, I went on a radio show once in Dallas. I had to go in there and defend myself because they were um, just saying bad things about me on the air for months. And basically when I got there, they were like, oh, well, you're um, 
Twitter avatar is just like very suggestive. And it's like, it's literally just my face. It's not suggestive at all. <laughs> you yeah. can't see yeah. my boobs. No. You can't see any of my body. It's my face. And I'm just, it's just my face. And it's one of those things that it's just a weird thing that you have to defend yourself by like, okay, so this is what I look like. And, you know, I'm not going to try to either, you know, I'm not over-sexualizing myself, but I'm not going to try to, you know, purposely make myself look ugly just so that you don't think I'm using my looks to get ahead or something. You know, it's just a weird, it's a really weird thing. Yeah. Now. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, that said, like, I totally, it's, it's, it sucks because it's a, you know, it's obviously a double standard. Mm -hmm. And then the thing with like Alex Morgan is I feel like if you're clearly, I think there's just more leeway in terms of, being able to show off your body and stuff like that if it's not a promotional tool, I guess. Right. You, does that make sense? Yeah, like, no, it's I not, see what you're like, saying. He's not, it's not going to affect, you know, she's not going to get a better contract if she, you know, shows some skin and it's a little sexed up. And so I think people are more okay with it, whereas if a reporter or someone like that does it, it's like, oh, well, she's clearly doing this to, you know, get ahead. Right. And it's I think that's the balance you got to find. Yeah. And, and this is another interesting thing. And Molly and I actually talked about this last week. And I told her a story that I also told Linda Cohn. And I'll tell it to you. Some of the listeners right now are like, he's going to tell this story again. But whatever. Landa <laughs> didn't get to hear it the other time. So back off of me. So here's the story. Uh, Jane Levy is uh, a dear friend of the show. She came on very early to promote her book on Mickey Mansell, The Lost Boy, which is one of our favorite books of all time. Um, And she's been on several times since. Uh, She's amazing. And at some point, maybe she'd been on four times, let's say, I noticed she was getting ready to come on again, and I was kind of just looking around on the internet to see if she had written anything or whatever. And I stumbled upon a message board thread somewhere, and it was about... It was a girl had wrote that she was annoyed that every time, every interview she could find uh, with Jane was always about her role as a woman in sports or a woman covering baseball. That it was just always mm-hmm. about that. And yeah. a couple of slots down in the thread, someone said, well, you should hear her on the sportscasters because actually they've never talked to her about that. So at first I was really proud of it. I was like, wow, you know, that's really cool. Cause, and then I said, well, wait a minute. Maybe you're just not doing it right. Like maybe in a way Jane wants to talk about that with me to some degree. And maybe there's a balance there and I'm not finding it at all. I'm on the other extreme. Yeah, this, this post that this girl wrote, she's talking about the people on that extreme that can't get by it at all. But maybe I'm actually on the other side, and maybe I'm failing when, when she's on the show. Maybe there is some level of that. And I brought it up to her. We talked about it, and I brought it up to, uh, to Linda Cohn and to Molly last week, and now to you. What do you think about the balance? Is now someone who you have this this podcast, and you're going to want people to to obviously just look at you as a podcaster, someone who has this podcast that's maybe mostly baseball centric. Maybe it's not. Maybe sometimes you do other things. Whatever. Uh, but unfortunately, some people are going to look at it like, 
oh, she's the girl from Twitter who does the girl podcast about baseball or whatever. Sure. So I think yeah, I asked the question. Something... I think. Uh, was was there a question in there? I think there was a question. The question is, if I didn't quite get it out, because I'm limited talent-wise. So I'm trying to get out a good question, but the talent is holding me back a okay. little bit. The question is, where is the balance? For you, where do you want to be a woman in the sports media and talking about your role and how things are? And where do you just want to be the podcaster or the tweeter or the person who does whatever other endeavors that you'll get to eventually in your career if i if i'm being totally honest it's not something i think a lot about um in terms of okay i'm a woman in this in this in this male dominated industry it's something that i think about when i'm confronted with it if someone brings it up to me not like you but like someone you know being rude on twitter about it or i get other women, especially like younger women who will send me really, really, really sweet messages about inspiring them, which I don't, you know, I don't think about that until I get that message and it's really amazing to hear. But it's, it's for me, I just, you know, I want to be successful as a person and not just a woman in this industry. And so I don't think about it. I don't, I don't know if things, would have been easier for me as a man or as a woman in the way I've gone about doing things just because I've kind of broken into this industry from a, a non-conventional way. And I, you know, I know someone like Molly who is wrote for ESPN and was a baseball writer and was, you know, being in the clubhouse is super different when you're a woman because you feel very aware of it the whole time. And that, right. that hasn't really been the case for me. And, um, you know, I always think about there, there are obvious detriments to being a woman in this industry, but there are benefits, too. And I don't mean that in, like, a sexual way, which a lot of guys immediately go to that. But I mean that in terms of it's easier for me to build relationships with people and network and talk to people and, um, you know, think out, you know, just my thought process might be a little different. So it's just, you know, there are all be, there are just different benefits there too. But I do get when some women, I don't want to fault them for bringing it up all the time. Cause I get that it's a, it's a big deal. But for me, it's like, I don't want to be known as a woman in the industry. I just want to be known as a person in the industry. I want to be treated, you know, the same. I want to be treated with the same amount of respect. And it's, but again, it's not something I dwell on. I don't know if I would have been more or less successful. It's hard to say, and it's, right. and I think if I if I focus on that too much, it would be it would hurt me. Well, I mean, I'm not trying to claim to be like the ultimate 2015 progressive liberal or anything like that. But for me, when we had Jane on or when we had Linda on, I just wanted to talk to her about the book. I don't know. I didn't really care that she was a woman. And, right. you know, like I just really right. love that book and I wanted to talk to her about that book. And then the next time we were on, it was like when Mariano Rivera was retiring and we t- had this awesome conversation about how like Mansell was her guy to many New Yorkers. Rivera maybe is their guy and his career is ending and she's been able to see both. We had this great conversation about that and that's what I was interested in. And then I've noticed that it seems like the more and more women that come on. 
that's what they want to talk about too. And that it's the guys in the sports media that want to talk about this more. Like Richard Deitch has done a great job kind of illuminating the negatives that happen to women in locker rooms or whatever. He's done done a great job with it. But I always feel like it interests him a little bit more than the women. And, you know, I've always kind of liked being on the side more of kind of keeping that out, out of the conversation as much as possible, unless I think someone could offer a unique perspective on it, which is why I brought it up to you and Molly, because I thought that you would both have interesting perspectives, you know? Sure. And I think, you know, the main thing for me, since I feel like, you know, most of the main players are obviously more willing to work with women than they used to be. Some are not, but, you know, for the most part, it's a lot better. It's on a personal level, you think about, you know, guys can meet up with, guys for drinks and meet up and meet with players and stuff like that and it's not a big deal and as a woman you really have to tiptoe lines a lot more because it's a lot of you know you don't want to give someone the wrong idea but right. you still want to build relationships with these people and so it's a, it's trickier but it, I mean I feel like that's that's just life right the sportscasters are here with uh, Lana Berry she's at Lana L-A-N-A on Twitter the Lana Berry podcast featuring Lana Berry is available on iTunes. If you're looking for it in the sports section and you're at the Sportscasters, go a couple hundred up to the top, uh, and that's where you'll find her up near the top of the list. Um, so far, she's had Molly Knight, who was on our show last week, and Brandon McCarthy on the show. Really excited about the future of that podcast. Make sure you check it out. Before we let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you uh, kind of what's interesting you right now in baseball. We've been kind of captivated on this show uh, with the Yankees and the Jays race a little bit and also really interested in the tournament that the NL, the NL Central is going to essentially have in a couple weeks where the Pirates and Cubs probably are going to play a wild card and then go on to play the Cardinals for the right to play for the National League pennant. Those are kind of the things we've been most interested uh, what have you been watching or interested in in baseball or anything else in the sports world right now? Baseball is super interesting right now because there's no clear-cut winner in anywhere, really. I mean, the Royals are obviously have a big lead, but for the mo- but for as far as predicting anything for the playoffs, it's still such a mess right now, mm-hmm. and I love it that it's a mess. That said. Chase Utley is going to the Dodgers. That happened like right before we started recording. <laughs> I didn't even know that yet. Wow. So, yeah. Chase Utley. I don't know if it's a done deal yet, but that's what I was looking at. I right did hear that called. they were. Yeah, I did hear they were trying to get him through waivers to make a trade. So I kind of assumed that he was going to get moved. But yeah, yeah. I'll look that up. You keep so going about what's interesting you. Um. What else is interesting? That's. I mean, pretty much. I'm really interested to see this whole Dodgers Giants kind of little race play out, but I'm really interested to see what happens in the AL West because Houston the Astros and LA, are still in right. first. Mm-hmm. The Angels are neck and neck with the Rangers now, and it's it's bizarre. The Blue Jays are really good now. The Mets are really good now. The Nationals just totally died, which is so incredible. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think another really... I can't in- believe Matt Williams hasn't been fired yet. Neither can I. And I think another really interesting thing is the Cy Young battle in the National League is essentially Greinke versus Kershaw. Greinke Kershaw, yeah. Yeah, that's really exciting. I know, you know, it's just... I think it's going to be Greinke. I thought it was going to be Greinke at the beginning of the year, so I'm sticking with that. But... What an interesting... That's what it's going to be. It's going to be between them. He's a super interesting dude. I That was one thing I said to Molly I loved so much about her book was the characters in it, whether it's, you know, Puig or Granky or... Arriba. I mean, there was just a ton of good ones, and he was a, a really fascinating guy, I just thought. and uh, Granky, yeah, is the best. And Joe Piznanski is a guy who writes amazingly about Granky as well, um, whether it's... Yeah, I yeah. mean... He covered Granky way back in yep. the day, mm-hmm. and of all the people Granky, or all the people Granky, all the people Pazanski has covered, he says that Granky is still probably the most interesting guy he's ever talked to in baseball. And if you talk to pretty much anybody in baseball, they will all tell you that Granky is the most interesting person. Yeah, absolutely. He is just such a interesting character, and I would love to see him get to Cy Young because he's a guy I've just I've rooted for. Back to the Kansas. Kansas City Royals have been a team, when we started this podcast, they were, you know, in the run of just misery and laid into it. And Jeff Passan, yeah. Jeff Passan was our first ever guest who also wrote mm. for, you know, Kansas City uh, newspaper and now writes about baseball for Yahoo. And from the first show, you know, we're talking about his connection to Kansas City and the Royals. We've kind of watched this team build. And Granke was just a guy that, I just wanted him to figure it out. I felt bad for him. I related to him somehow. I've seen a lot of the issues. As a big Saints fan, I've seen Ricky Williams go through some of the things maybe that he was going through, uh, not right. being either of their doctors, not knowing for sure, but kind of seeing a parallel there. And just I've always rooted for him, and I, I hope he gets to Cy Young because he's really – he's had an incredible year. And, um, and, and the thing is, Kershaw is just so good. He might catch him. I don't know. It's it's one of the. It's just so crazy because people were talking about Kershaw being bad, and which is all relative because he's you know right bad one for of the Kershaw. best pitchers right. like ever, and so a bad year for him is still an incredible year for pretty much anybody else. But you know, everyone's like, oh, he's bad now, all this stuff, whatever, because he was, pretty much he was just having really bad luck for the beginning of the season, and for him now to basically be neck and neck with Granky for the Cy Young this year is great. At Lana, at L-A-N-A on Twitter. It's a great, great follow for sure. The Lana Berry podcast featuring Lana Berry is available on iTunes. You can also go to LanaBerry.com. You can uh, follow on other social medias. I believe you have a public Instagram as well if people are interested there. I do. Um, I'll tell you this as a last thing, one kind of – nightmare i'm gonna have or a thought a premonition that went through my mind is wow it's been a really good show the last several weeks oh it's really cool we had these two really interesting guests on in back-to-back weeks oh and it's really cool they live together and i thought oh wait maybe that's not cool maybe tonight lana's gonna hang up the phone and she's gonna say to molly Oh my God! Thank God that's over with. What a clown that guy is! And she's gonna say, "Oh yeah, that's right. He was a clown. Why did I tell you not to do that thing?" So I am kind of nervous that I'm gonna be a discussion in in the in the apartment or house today, and it's gonna be what a, what a dork I am. So 
I'm worried about well, that. Well, you're in what? Because she's out of town today. <laughs> okay, so good. So you'll, it won't happen. happen until at least the weekend when you have that discussion. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Probably like Friday. Friday. Great. That's great. Is there, anyth- <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to uh, mention that I didn't maybe a guest or coming up or anything? I know Brandon McCarthy and uh, Molly Knight were the first two guests of uh, the Lana Barry um, podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's on iTunes. It's on SoundCloud. If you follow me on Twitter, I will bother you about it all the time. So you can find it just to my Twitter, probably. Um, it's once Instagram a week. Instagram is Lana Berry. Yeah, it's once a week. Uh, I might do more than once a week every blue moon, but for right now, it's once a week. And the third episode should be up today, at some point. World with, Series. Uh, World- I recorded the. Yeah, the third episode was with uh, author and comedian Sarah Colonna, who's a big baseball fan, and it's really funny so i've seen you promote that that will will be a good one for sure all right give me a world series prediction and then you can go i can't i refuse to have a world series prediction not even who's playing i can't predict no i can't i'm so frustrated with let's do this there's nothing there's no okay let's do this instead who will be the last nl central team standing oh god um cardinals who is more? Who will be the last AL East team standing? Toronto. AL West team, last one standing. Ugh. Astros. Okay, we're gonna hold you to those. You've heard it here. <laughs> Thank you, Lana. I think I went the whole time without calling you, Lana. You did. You called me, Lana, the whole time. It was great. Thank you so much for doing this. Look forward to uh, having you again sometime. Yeah, of course. Thanks. All right. I want to thank Lana Barry for being on the podcast today. Book Club. Boy, am I enjoying the book club this summer. We just finished last week the best team money can buy. The Los Angeles Dodgers' wild struggle to build a baseball powerhouse by Molly Knight. You can hear Molly Knight on this very podcast uh, season 5, episode 25, www.sports-casters.com, also iTunes and Stitcher. You said you listened to Molly. What did you think, Don? She was interesting. She was good. She uh, was engaging. She didn't shy away from any of the questions or anything, not that they were really super hard-hitting or anything like that, but uh, I thought her answer to the uh, – I don't know how you put it, but essentially uh, should you treat women journalists as women or just as journalists? Or I thought she had a good answer to that. So it was, Yeah, the it was balance kind of. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like you you don't want to put that label on them necessarily, but you do want to get that perspective from them. So uh, it was interesting. She was good. Well, I love that book, and I enjoyed talking to her. It was about a 40-minute chat, I think. Yeah, she, too. she really stuck it out. Uh, pretty good and kind of – I finished that, and that night picked up Alice in Chains, The Untold Story by David DeSola, and I'm equally as fascinated by this. Yeah. Um, he had a blog uh, yesterday that I read about how a criticism of the book has been that it's too much about Lane Staley. Okay. And my thought about that is Lane Staley's the singer. Right. He's the front man. And he's the guy who had the tragic drug problem that resulted in his death. Right. He's the main character in the book. Right. I have yet to read a page and think, 
Oh, man, another Lane Staley story? <laughs> I just don't get that criticism. Of course, uh, Jerry Cantrell is a huge part of Alice in Chains. Right. He's a bit, he's more than a lead guitarist because he sings, sings a lot, yeah. and he sings a lot of leads, too. Heaven Beside You is a song that comes to mind where he sings the lead. Um, but it's a great book. I'm up to the point. Facelift was just released. And Andrew Wood just died. And um, we've seen Pearl Jam 20 do a good job of kind of capturing Andrew Wood's death and what it meant to the scene. Chris Cornell kind of talks about it in that film pretty powerfully. Mm-hmm. And in this book was really interesting because I didn't realize that there was a real close connection between Lane and Andrew Wood. And I didn't realize that this was really the first heroin death that really – caught Lane and really caused him to break down. And I mean, the difference with Pearl Jam, too, is uh, they weren't a band, and neither was Soundgarden. Or was Soundgarden a band? Soundgarden was a band, They were yeah. a band at yeah. the time, okay. But, They're essentially um, just releasing their first stuff on Right, because I know on Pearl Jam 20 they said Chris and Eddie were rooming together or something at the time, no, right? No, Chris and Andrew were rooming together. Or Chris and Andrew were yeah. right, okay. Uh, yeah, so this is kind of a different take on it. Yeah, but it's a great book. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, Alice in Chains, The Untold Story by David DeSolo. Read with us. Um, David's going to be on, I don't know, two episodes maybe from now. i got to finish it. I'm not finished yet. Right. and it's, I want to finish it first. It's not... Uh, and we're busy. It's not It's not going to get old. No. So, But, but I mean, I want him to be able to come on kind of in the this cycle of the book. Sure. You know, I don't want him to... You don't have to wait. And we do have a copy. So if you want a copy, thesportscasters at gmail.com. We're going to take a break and come back with Brian Curtis. Chris Sims and the Longhorns with a first down in the three after a mental mistake by Basher. The ball would have gone into the end zone and they could have had it on the 20. Cannot afford a mistake down here. They got 206 to work with. Longhorns with their timeouts left. Lehman showing blitz. There's the blitz. Touchdown, Lehman. Touchdown, Oklahoma. Williams got the Our next guest is from Fort Worth, Dallas. And is a graduate. Uh, wait, how are you from Fort Worth and Dallas? I don't know how to type. He's from one of those two places. He's a graduate of the University of Texas. He's also a writer for Grantland. Uh, he's authored pieces there on Josh Hamilton, Notre Dame, Jerry Jones, Jordan Spieth, even the second Indiana Jones movie. Uh, he's making his fourth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Brian Curtis. What's going on, Brian? The sound you just heard is me jumping out the window after that Roy Williams. <laughs> How uh, welcoming highlight. was that? That was such a welcoming uh, introduction, wasn't it? <laughs> just glad you played the Texas fight song afterwards. You won me back. Right, and I'm right, also right. calling it Fort Worth, Fort Worth, Dallas, by the way, because I'm from Fort Worth, and and I really like it when we're first. I like I like it when it's not DFW, but the other way around. Okay, so you just you demand to be known as from both. <laughs> just from Fort Worth, but just you can call it Fort Worth Dallas, just not Dallas Fort Worth. I got it. I got it. Okay. 
Fair enough. I, I, there's really no equivalent of that when you're from Buffalo. Like, I don't think there's anyone <laughs> like in Rochester saying I'm from Rochester, Buffalo, or anything. But <laughs> they do that kind of like that's like one of these things that happen for TV, right? To con- combine the market that it's always been Dallas Fort Worth like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This nice little rivalry between them. I was there. Um, I don't know if I told you this. I was there in November of 2013 for Pearl Jam. And um, it's the first time I'd ever been in Dallas or Fort Worth or wherever else we ended up in the state driving. Then we drove to um, Oklahoma City for the show the next night. Um, and I went to uh, Daily Plaza, which was really awkward because I the whole time going there, I thought, I really want to get a picture you know, on the X. And then I got there. And I got sad, and I was like, I don't want a picture there. Like, what would I even do in the picture? Would I smile? Would I frown? Like, that's dumb. Why would I want a picture there? So I, I bailed on that. You restrain yourself. Yeah. That, a lot of people don't because they had that open-top limo tour, which I found always be the most ghoulish thing in the world. Yeah, that's really weird. Yeah, the one yeah. thing I did think standing there is absolutely he could have made them shots, that it just feels – a lot closer to the window than I think I ever thought on TV. But we're not here to talk I've about had a that. Ton of, I had a ton of people tell me that. That, that is almost everybody's yeah. first reaction when they when like, they look at that window. Absolutely. Yeah, wow, that's closer, way closer than I would have ever believed. Um, but I had fun. I had fun in Dallas. I liked being there. It was a cool place for sure to visit. And we drove by, uh, drove by Jerry Stadium and checked that out. And I just can't believe how big that is. <laughs> I think I said this before, but it reminds me inside of the uh, George Lucas Imperial Senate, you know, like you're in this just giant chamber, and uh, it doesn't feel like a football stadium at all. It, it, feels, it feels amazing, and I kind of like it. It just feels like you're in this, this thing on another planet. It's really amazing. I can't wait to find out what kind of crowd Vince McMahon's going to be able to get in there for WrestleMania. <laughs> sure, it's going to set the record, break the uh, Silverdome record. Is that what it is? Yeah, That's the standing one still? Was, uh, I think Ford Field beat the Silverdome when they had it at Ford Field, okay. maybe. But okay. yeah. And, and, you know, the Ford Field one, too, is much debated. You know, they say 93,000, and I, I think the promoter has always told guys like Meltzer and your buddy, the masked man, that it was really 78,000, but <laughs> I can't imagine that uh, there'd be a sleight of hand involved. in wrestling No, at all. no, there's never, Shocking. Any, never any trickery there. Uh, what's going on, Brian? What are you up to? Uh, summer, you had your first post on Grantland in a bit. I was getting, getting nervous. I was having uh, Brian Curtis Grantland column withdrawals. Um, <laughs> you came back, Very and nice. you wrote a little bit about the golf and about, uh, Jordan Spieth, who posted an eight for the summer, which is one of the craziest things ever, that he went first, first, fourth, and second for an eight in the four majors this year. Isn't that insane? He is, um, and of course, you know, speaking of Dallas, right? That's where he's from. Yeah. And I really, I mean, I've been, he went to University of Texas, too, for a year and won the national championship there. I, I mean, I think, like, I've just been so fascinated by him in a way I've never been fascinated by any golfer, which is not really saying all that much, but just because I feel he's one of my people, you know, and the way, one of the reasons I wanted to write that story is that when I hear him talk to the media and give those interviews after, like after the PGA, he just sounds like a lot of people I grew up with and, and talks like a lot of people I grew up with. And so it's been an amazing year. I mean, the fact just, I mean, the idea of him at 22 
winning two out of four and effectively finishing second and in a in a tie for in in fourth in the British. I mean, it's just it's just absolutely insane. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at the four tournaments too, I mean, he he had a four putt in the last round of the British Open. That if he doesn't four putt, he's probably in that playoff at the very least. And then, yeah. you know, last weekend, it only took a guy posting a minus 20 to hold him off. I mean, <laughs> there was about 525 golfers or something in the four majors, and he lost, of what, four of them? Five of them? Four of them. Four of them. Four of them. Oh. Yeah. I know. And it was amazing, like, to watch him last week because he was – he's really hard on himself. And, you know, he understands – that you only get so many shots of this. You know, everybody's like, oh, he's 22, has plenty of time. He only knows, you know, things go, thing, weird things happen, and you only get so many shots. But even after what Jason Day did last week, you could tell he was like, what do you say, best loss I've ever had? Because even he was, he was nothing he could do about it. You know, Day was just going to win that tournament. And, you know, so he, had a, he had a very nice last round, and he just wasn't even close. Right, yeah. Day, that was his, it's hard to, okay, he was not losing to anyone probably ever. That, that was It was his day, so to speak. I mean, he was going to win that one. Nothing Spieth could do about it. But, you know, I just – there's always been this thing in golf, like what are we going to do when there's no more Tiger? And essentially when you have a guy – I know he's still there, but he missed three of the four cuts in the majors. And he's nowhere near, I mean, the star he was. Maybe he wins one more. Maybe he has like an 86 Masters, Nicholas – you know, one of these years at the Masters, he just everything goes right and he wins one. But regardless, they needed to turn the sport over. And at first, it's like, well, maybe it'll be Rory, but and he's great and he's really interesting, but he's not American. And yeah. you know, this the the emergence of of Spieth has have, is just such a breath of fresh air for the sport. He's kind of a southern gentleman too; like he just feels real likable. Um, I will always take a reason to not like a guy who played at the University of Texas, but I can't find one with this guy. He's, he's just, he's too, he, he defies it. He's like Derek Johnson was, where it's like, no, just everything about that guy is likable. Like, that's not, a, that's a guy you're just so jealous of your rival to have. Derek Johnson was always that guy in football that I was just like, he's the perfect college linebacker. I would have done anything for him to be on my team, and I think that maybe uh, Jordan Spieth is kind of the golf version of that. Yeah, it's interesting. Like he, um, he's one of those guys. Like he has a weird, you know. One of the things we love in the media is when, you know, you have this combination of a guy who is completely has his quote unquote game face on, right, on the course or on the field, and then as soon as he gets in the interview room afterwards, he's able to kind of take it off and be humble and you know, oh, you know, I, I want to give credit to my caddy or my teammates or whatever. And that's Jordan, you know, and and. It's totally the thing about him. I think that we're starting to figure out is that it actually comes very natural to him. You know, it's, I think even I thought uh, from afar, oh, you know, he's had great media training, right? He's had people telling him this is how you're supposed to answer questions, this is how you're supposed to act, be humble. But I think what people sort of realize, like, oh, that's actually the real Jordan, you know, and and that's what he's like. And he's not putting on an act, but he's just trying to be the guy he is. And one of the things, you know, I think I said in that piece about him was that, you know. In Texas, you're trained in a weird way um, to please people, especially strangers when you're brought up, you know, and um, to look a certain way and talk a certain way and act a certain way and, and be, you know, 
to please people, to help people, to impress them. And all the journalists I talked to who talked to him after golf tournaments, you know, one of them said in that story, you know, it's almost like I'm a teacher and he's trying to get an A on the test, you know. And you just think about the number of superstar athletes that not only are nice to writers but actually try to impress them with their answers. And it's a category of like, well, maybe Jordan Spieth and that's it right. <laughs> at this point. We had a, uh, it's, it's pretty insane. It's pretty remarkable. We had a really similar discussion earlier about J.J. Watt. And, you know, obviously the Texans are on Hard Knocks this year. And two episodes in, it's very clear that they're basing the show around J.J. Watt. And I've been starting to hear, and I didn't know that there were people like this, but starting to hear, hear that there's people that don't believe that that's the real J.J. Watt, that <laughs> nobody could actually be like that, that it's some kind of an act or whatever. And I don't know. I, I kind of don't believe it. I kind of think that that's J.J. Watt, and maybe that I, that seems very similar to what you were saying about about Spieth. No, that, that is, that's the kid. That is him. Yeah, and I think in Watt's case, it's the fact that just absolutely no, and I think actually Bill O'Brien said this on the first episode of the Hard Knocks here, nobody's paying attention to the Texans at all, you know? We all watched J.J. Watt's like, kind of remarkable year in highlight form last year. Like, nobody nobody pays attention to the Texans at all, so people are just sort of starting to get around, it's like, oh, wow, this is like a really amazing, fascinating guy. Yeah, we talked a little bit last time when you were on about how one of the cool things about what you do at Grandland is you're able to kind of bounce around a bit. And even in the intro there, I was talking about how you've been all over the place. You've done some things like talk about the second Indiana Jones movie or Jordan Spieth most recently, or even Josh Hamilton, whatever you're all over. And that always makes me want to ask you kind of what's interesting you now. Like what are the things that you're kind of seeing happening that you kind of have on your radar? Not necessarily that you're writing about, but that are just, they're interesting you, then then there are things that maybe you could write about. Yeah, I mean it's 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 funny. I mean we're we're just in that kind of pre uh, football season mode. Right. Uh, so uh, you know, I guess I'm interested. I think in a bunch of different things. I mean, I'm, I'm a bunch of. I always feel like about this time of year, I start all the kind of football stories I wanted to write last year that I didn't get to write are now climbing up to the top of my list. So, you know, I mean, one thing that's very Dallas that I've been interested in lately is Dallas Cowboys fandom. Uh, and about, you know, there was this really weird thing, I don't know if you noticed this last year, but like in the in the preseason, op- I mean, sorry, season opener, week one against the 49ers, it was like half 49er fans, you know, Arlington, in a home game. <laughs> right. right. This is the season that turned out really well for, Cow- for the Cowboys. And, you know, the strangeness that they're, on the one hand, that they're America's team, and on the other hand, that they basically go 50-50 in their home stadium uh, with a team, uh, with a fan base that's a few thousand miles away. And that's kind of really, it's just really funny. And I also went to a Cowboys game late last year uh, against the Giants up here at the one where Odell Beckham made that insane catch. Right. And at then the stadium was like 70-30 Cowboys fans. It felt actually so like a Cowboys home game didn't feel like a home game. But the road game against the Giants felt like a home game. Hmm. <laughs> so really, just just the nature and the strange nature of that fan base, which I think is totally unique in the NFL, and maybe in completely in professional sports. You know, it's kind of t- like we have people everywhere. We don't always have people in Dallas, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really interesting. And two things about that. One, I remember that, that Giants game was a night game, right? And yeah. I've always known that 
Giants and Jets fans are notorious for wanting to dump the night games to visiting fans because they don't want to have to deal with their normal Monday in New York. Because um, I guess it's just a nightmare to get out of there uh, for the night yeah, games. I've always heard that. I don't know how true it is. I've just always heard that. And then I remember last year when the Saints and the Cowboys played on Sunday Night Football. The, there was a point maybe 20 minutes into the game where I thought the Saints would lose by 60 and maybe they only lost by 40. I don't remember exactly, but I was shocked at how good the Cowboys were. And I, I don't know if that maybe played in to that first game that there was nobody thought they would be that good. I don't even think Cousin Sale or the biggest Cowboys fan you can think of thought they would be that good, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's like nobody, and even when we kind of saw that they were that good, nobody really believed it until they beat Seattle. You know, in Seattle, right? Everyone, and even then, I think people were kind of like seventy-five percent in, right? Yeah, and we talked. Just, we talked about how we're interested to see uh, what McMahon does in that stadium. Do you think that they've created such a destination there that, like, when fans of other teams look at the schedule, they're like, "Yeah, let's go to Dallas. That'd be a great place." It's a hub. Their airport is a hub for one of the major airlines, so it's usually a relatively cheap place to fly to, sure. and. Um, Let's see Jerry World. That would be so cool to see the game there, right? Yeah, so somebody was comparing it to me to like the Astrodome when it opened, you know? Yeah. When it was the seventh, the eighth wonder of the world. And I think that's I think that's exactly what it is. I think that's part of it. It's this kind of becomes this pilgrimage, this shrine that you have to visit once, you know? And the other thing is of course there's so many seats in that place that if you are one of those people who treks across the country, you can get tickets. You know, there's like a lot of there are a lot of seats around there. Yeah, and I think Cowboys fandom's weird, right? Because it's like we have won so many Super Bowls and, you know, been, or been close so many times that there's this kind of like, there's a really high standard to get excited, I think. And, you know, last year, you know, everybody's kind of like, eh, well, you know, they're just going to go 8-8 eight eight again or even worse. And then they wind up having a fantastic season and being one play away almost, more or less, from the NFC Championship game. It was an interesting year. Yeah, and it was, and they got screwed. That's a, I don't know what planet we're in when that's not a catch. And I guess they changed the rules, and it's still not a catch. And that just means <laughs> I still don't understand, quite understand. I that. still don't understand it. I guess it's just basically what it comes down to. Uh, the sports guys are here with Brian Curtis. He's at Curtis Beast on Twitter, writing for Grantland. He's got a latest piece up there about Jordan Spieth. We talked a bit about that, and uh, just kind of talking a little bit about what maybe is next on your radar what else is interesting you about football what are maybe one or two things you're willing to share with us on that notebook that didn't get done last year um i'm really interested in uh i'm not so sure it's in jason garrett you know uh not to stick too much with the cowboy theme i just found him to be a fascinating character in the way he's navigated uh that job you know in dallas is a pretty hard job on head coach as everybody from jimmy johnson afterward would tell you you know, mm-hmm. so he's definitely, and then, you know, hopping a bit forward, a little, you know, when the NBA were, how, how, I don't know how this happened, we're like two months away from the start of the NBA season, yeah. right? Yeah. NBA didn't, NBA actually didn't have an off season this year, like no. for the first time, right? We, we know the NFL is like 12 months, but we kind of felt the NBA got to like 11 and a half months this year. Sure did, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just amazed, and my, my former boss is one of the examples of this, but like, I'm just amazed that, um, how big NBA journalism has become uh, online and everything. You know, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, and, you know, the NBA was 
the third ranked beat, if that, in journalism. And then all of a sudden, you know, we've seen this, I think over the last 10 years probably, maybe more, it's really become more prominent. And you just you just see, like, that writing about basketball, and I think this is definitely a good thing, uh, has become this really flourishing thing. And I'm just sort of fascinated by that. I and mean, to me, it's like one of the biggest things that's changed in my life kind of about sports writing. Obviously, things like the, the Twitter and, and the news cycle speeding up and uh, trade rumors becoming a big thing. But, but NBA writing, the way that that's really flourished, um, always amazes me. And yeah. I guess, you know, with the season coming up, I've been thinking a lot about that too. I think a part of it is just... I've always been envious of the quality of NBA writers. I mean, the NBA is definitely the number four of four for me. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that is, you know, being in the number one hockey market in the country, um, you know, right. boosts hockey for me more than a lot of people. But I've always been envious. If you look back, like, I always think about how amazing it is that essentially at one point Sports Illustrated had Jack McComb and Frank DeFord covering the NBA beat. And, and then you fast forward to now, and they still have Chris Ballard and Lee Jenkins, essentially <laughs> doing like right. those are two of the best writers there are, and they're both covering the same sport for the same magazine. And then, you know, like you mentioned Simmons and everything that he's done for creating a really interesting culture online for the NBA. I think he's huge influence there. And then there's guys like Woj at Yahoo. Uh, I mean, I just think there's just hey, really you're fading in and out a little bit. By the way, oh, you're losing me a bit. Yeah, there you go. Now I can hear you. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I still have you. You're perfect. But, um, yeah, no, I just think they have really, really quality writers. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's forced, like, I mean, I think there's also just been this kind of organic um, NBA kind of writing that's really happened online, you know. And, I, and, again, I think it's interesting. It's kind of interesting why, you know, I don't know if it's been better than football writing online or if it's been – you know, more interesting than football or baseball or something else. But I think there's something about, um, you know, whether it's Free Darko and, and that little movement or the way that, or, or Simmons' column, certainly, like the way that NBA writing kind of came up online. I mean, to me, that's just this, this sort of interesting question. I don't know if it was the fact that it was so shoved off uh, the docket of sports pages and sports TV and stuff that online was kind of the place to go, you know, as it was with wrestling writing and other things like that. Right. Other, uh, you know, secondary sports. But um, there's something to that. And uh, we live, I, I don't like to declare golden ages, but I mean, certainly NBA writing has got to be as good as it's ever been. And certainly a lot more of it, I think, probably than there's ever been. Can't argue there. Uh, Brian Curtis writes for Grantland. I wish we had more time. He's at Curtis Beast. On Twitter, uh, his latest Grantland piece is about Jordan Spieth and the golf season, and it's up there now. Did you think at all about who you might like as a Super Bowl pick yet? Have you thought about that at all? Super Bowl pick, wow. Um, I don't think it's going to be the Cowboys because I'm a fatalist. <laughs> uh, so, you know, God, I, I feel like like the NFL. I feel like the NFL is in such a weird state of flux. I mean, there could there could definitely be a Patriots. <laughs> it's just, every time, every time we think the Patriots are fat and happy, something bad happens to them that just makes them mad, right? Right. And they want to come win. Yeah, they're going to be mad. But uh, you know, so I, oh, God, I have to pick the Patriots. Yeah, they're the Patriots. they're they're that going does, to be mad. It doesn't make me happy, but if I wanted to go win money in Vegas, I think that's what I do. That's like one thing I've missed not having Bill around doing BS reports is I know he'd be screaming at the top of his lungs about 
the level of FU mode the Patriots would be, are getting ready to enter that we have never seen before. Because I just think from the top of the organization all the way down to the guys who inflate the balls, they're going to be in, in FU mode. I would be afraid of them. I, I would. <laughs> all right, Brian. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for spending some time, and I uh, can't wait to talk to you again soon. You got it. Anytime. All right. I want to thank Brian Curtis for being on the podcast today. I also want to thank Lana Barry for being on the show. You can find this week's podcast and all of our podcasts on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. You can find Don at Don Like Sports. Our podcast is also available on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. Uh, for some reason, there's a way you want to hear it and you can't let us know, but I think we kind of got all the bases covered on that. And you can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com, uh, especially if you are interested in a copy of Alice in Chains, The Untold Story by David DeSola. And I still have on my desk a copy of the Joe Poznanski book and the Molly Knight book that is accounted for and needs to be mailed. So if you're the one waiting for it, oh, okay. I promise you it's getting closer and closer to the door. Do we still have console wars to give out too? We still do have a copy of console wars. Even We could probably even give two copies out. Yeah, because I have, cause you I, still have, the I hard have cover. one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we probably still have a copy or two of console wars. If you're interested in that. Uh, email us, uh, sportscasters at gmail.com. All right, I'm going to give a little parenting advice, so strap in. I don't like to do this, but uh, I never played in a band or anything growing up, uh, and it's something I always wish that my parents kind of forced me to do. Now, my advice isn't, like, force your kids to be in band for 10 years, but I, I think you should kind of make them do stuff like that for maybe a year and just stick it out because recently, I think it was for Father's Day, my wife got me, bought me guitar lessons, knowing that I would never probably do it on my own, and it gave me some accountability. She spent some money. It's not cheap now either, so that's another reason to do what it. What is a guitar lesson? What do you do about half an hour at a time? It's half an hour at a time. It's a hundred bucks. Hundred bucks a month. Hundred bucks a month. That's so it's twenty-five bucks it a be. lesson. Yeah. Yep. So push your kids to do it when they're in high school, and it's free, like you're paying for with your taxes. Uh, now most high schools maybe don't teach acoustic guitar, but they teach maybe violin or even clarinet or something that would translate to it. But Trumpet, drums. Yeah, anything. Saxophone. Anything where you can learn to read music, you're comfortable with music. This this process would be faster for me if, if the sight reading wasn't such a hurdle. But I'm having fun with it, and my thought is my biggest regret is going to be I wish I did this 10, 20 years ago. How long until your one last thing is you playing <laughs> a song on the acoustic Like Mark Marin does on his podcast. He does he, that. He, at, he yeah. plays guitar like for the in-between interviews and stuff. Yeah, I think, It'll be quite a while. Well, I, I have a request that one of your one last things between now and next August 19th <laughs> is That's, I think that would just be a, you playing for 45 seconds as your that one would last be, thing. I, I'm hoping to be somewhat competent by then. There's a girl that plays before me. Uh, and I can hear her like through the door and she's playing songs like she's not like McCready, but she's probably goes in and is like, hey, how do you play this? Uh, what's that guy? Ed Sheeran, Sheeran song. Yeah. And how do you play this Metallica song? Whatever. So I, I hear her playing different songs. So I hope to be there 
within a year. Now, I, your brother Josh is becoming quite the guitar player from I what I hear. Heard. And you guys <laughs> could maybe uh, start a band soon. Yes. It'd be a very weird band. It'd be the, <laughs> we're 10 years apart. I'd be hitting 40, I'm sure, by the time I'm It would be crazy if you guys got signed. Became the biggest <laughs> band in the world. Because like, it's going to take me years to get good. We All need right. a singer, too, probably. So, But, All yeah, right. so push your kids to do things. Uh, make them stick it out maybe for a year. See if they like it. Because that's the one. I mean, the, the one goal is I'm, anything to keep them off the pipe. Well, right? I mean, that's pretty much yeah. the goal. So. Yeah, or if the girl, Chris Rock, always said to keep her off the pole. So Off the pole, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, make them do something they maybe wouldn't have wanted to. Because I'm sure it was my choice to not be in band when I was little. And I hate that I wasn't in it at least for a few years now typical don fucking up his life yep <laughs> all right uh one last thing for me today sunday is SummerSlam. uh since 1988 every august wwe has had their second biggest pay-per-view of the year SummerSlam. the first one was in madison square garden i mean i'm not trying to interrupt you that's the second biggest though huh that is the number two See, like my favorite, I'm assuming WrestleMania is the number one. Yeah, WrestleMania is one. My favorite was always the Royal Rumble. Now, the Royal Rumble and Survivor Series make out the big four. Right. So those are the big four of the year. I love the gimmick of the Royal Rumble. Everyone loves the Royal Rumble for sure. Yeah. The thing that keeps the Royal Rumble, I think, from being the number two show is it's so close to WrestleMania and this is essentially used as a way to build towards WrestleMania. Right, like the winner, it's like the play-in game, right? Yeah, whereas this is... uh, a sort of a card that's used to blow off feuds that have been building since WrestleMania. Okay. Now, this year is the first year that the WWE is really committing to this being the second show in the sense that, like WrestleMania this year, it's four hours. Okay. So they're kind of... Now, they don't need it to be four hours, believe me. And much of that extra hour is going to be spent dragging their heels and wasting time, (laughs) showing video packages... And stuff like that. Why but would why would they do it though? The reason they do it is because it gives it an extra feel of importance. importance. Yeah, you know WrestleMania is the only show that's four hours right now. Right, I get why football's four but hours. Now you can sell advertising. Now SummerSlam is four hours, and it's this bigger thing, and it's working. Uh, it's in Brooklyn this year. The last few years, it has been in LA. In Jay Z's place. It's uh, in Jay Z's place. place. Yeah. Yep. And here's what they got going this weekend. Saturday, their NXT is running a show, which they originally thought they would sell the lower bowl and the floor. They sold the whole building out for the NXT show. Then Sunday is SummerSlam, obviously sold out. And then Monday in that same building is Raw, sold out again. So they're kind of turning it into a destination weekend. Sure. Similar to the way WrestleMania is. And uh, ESPN has noticed Really? Um, ESPN on Sunday is going to be broadcasting live from SummerSlam from 10 a.m. on. Um, John Coachman, who used to work for WWE and is now at ESPN, is kind of going to be heading the coverage. Uh, yesterday, Brock Lesnar did the car wash at ESPN. You know, he was on okay. all the different shows throughout the course of the day. And I think they made a little news because uh, Brock said something about how he thinks Vince McMahon is a better promoter than Dana White. Okay. And. I kind of don't even think that that's in debate. I mean, yeah, I mean, Vince is Vince McMahon is the better promoter. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah. You know, Dana White has a clear advantage, and he hasn't pulled away. So that means that Vince McMahon's the better promoter. Uh, But yeah, it's it's got a lot of attention. 
It's kind of cool. Um, now I, I mentioned this before that I've watched wrestling twice, and that was in like the '80s heyday, and then in the Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. And now that I don't watch, I think like in my world, it's just not as big as it was then. Is it? Is this the third biggest time, or is it bigger uh, than the Attitude Era now? Or it's hard to say. It's not bigger than the Attitude Era. No, they just had so many. The stars two then, biggest right? times are still the '80s Hogan run and the Attitude run. Okay. For sure, this is not that. And actually, over the last 10 years, there's been a clear kind of decline in viewers, total viewers. But what they're doing now is kind of maybe rebuilding and picking up momentum. Certainly gaining more mainstream coverage. You know, David Shoemaker, who I think will be here next week uh, to talk about this event, writes about it for Grantland. We got ESPN covering it on there. Um, network this weekend. Uh, John Cena hosted the Today Show twice this week, an hour of the Today Show. Uh, he'll face Seth Rollins in a champion versus champion match, and if John Cena wins, he'll tie Ric Flair for the most world championship reigns ever at 16. The other big match is The Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar. Uh, Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 30 ended The Undertaker's streak, and The Undertaker has shown up to ruin Brock Lesnar's championship match a few months ago. And How long does The Undertaker have? No, not much. A couple matches left. He was in like the wrestling he's, video game with He's prolonged Hogan. his career by wrestling once a year. Oh, that's it? He just does he, wrestling you know, This is much? the first year in a while that he's going to do two matches in a year. Wow. You know, yeah, good so for him. He prolonged his run, and it was able to happen because he had the WrestleMania streak. Sure, right. So by having that, he was able to... Right, you got to keep that story. He going. was a big attraction, but uh, it's Sunday and it's ten bucks, and actually it's nothing because if you don't have the WWE Network, you can sign up for a month free. So really? if SummerSlam is interesting to you, you can watch it on Sunday for free. And wow. you know, in the past, it's a thirty or forty dollar pay per view. It's free now. Yep. Uh, for anyone who does not have the WWE Network. You can. It's no commitment. You can cancel after that first month. Um, so you can kind of float in here, poach SummerSlam from them for free, and uh, you can bail out if you want, or you can stick around. We've talked about the network and how good it is. I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we'll talk uh, more about SummerSlam next week. 